Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. If you have a Bible, um, open with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we'll be in the first um, five verses. This is the last week in our, in our series on our core values. Do you remember the ones we covered so far? Right? We, huh? What was that? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Gospel power and sonship. You remember that? The kingdom of God. Reconciliation. Team. Ministry. What else? What did I forget? Humble, humility and humble circumstances. Promises of God. What else? Kingdom of God. Yeah, I think we got them all. And then today... It is trials. Amen for trials. You can put up that that slide with the trials on it. There we go. Trials, God's prescription for maturing our faith. Closely related to weakness and humility. That's what David preached on a couple weeks ago. God uses trials to sanctify us and fully equip us to do his will in any and every circumstance. Broad scriptural patterns show God's people the practical necessity of counting it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds from James chapter 1. And so along those lines, the theme for the message is rejoicing in suffering. Rejoicing in suffering. I was trying to capture some, some faces that may capture what, I'm, what, what we're talking about here. You can put up that first one. Rejoicing in suffering? Is that how you feel? Or maybe the other one. What? Maybe that's how you feel as we talk about this idea of rejoicing in suffering. Now, before I read the text, just to set the context, this is in Romans. This isn't a church that Paul started. But he, if you go and read Romans 1, in verse 15, it talks about, he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Now, who's he talking to? Right, as church folks, he wants to preach the gospel. And so what he does is break down the gospel. He says, in the gospel, the power of God, right, for salvation is revealed, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And then he says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from first to last. The righteous will live by faith. And then he spends the whole first part of the book breaking that down. It is an incredible uh, outline, really, of Paul's theology of the gospel. But I want you to know something. This was not meant to just be some theological paper, right? He's writing to real people just like us who are dealing with different issues. They have Jew and Gentile, so they're dealing with cultural and racial issues in their context. How do we live together? How do we work that out? And particularly what he's addressing in this passage is how do we deal with suffering, right? What does all that fancy theology and doctrine have to do with what I'm facing right now? or what we're facing in the world. How in the world, Pastor, can you tell me to rejoice in suffering? Well, let's look at the passage and see. Here now the reading of God's word, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice 
in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's word. Let's go to God together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your good word. Please order our steps, order our hearts, order our minds, order our thoughts, everything. Order them according to your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here in the places where we're gathered online to watch and worship together. We pray you'd continue to move among us. We thank you for what we've already celebrated. We pray that you might meet us now in this time. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Help us to understand these hard words at some points that we read. And help us not only to understand them, but help us to live in light of them. And we ask that you would do that for your glory. All this we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. There's a kid's story that I heard of a man who was, who was traveling on a boat and ended up being in this storm, incredible storm, and ended up being shipwrecked on an island. Not Gilligan's Island, but a similar one like that. You can put up that first picture. And so he's trying to think of everything he can to let people know that he's on this island, but there's no way he can find to communicate with any people. And so he's distraught for a while by that. And then he thinks, well, you know what? I, I guess I just have to build a life on this island. And so he builds a hut. And he figures, I'm going to spend the rest of my life here. I might as well be as comfortable as I can. And so he builds this hut that he's going to live in on this island. Well, one day he's on the other side of the island and he notices that there's some smoke rising up. And he, he goes, oh, no. And he runs back across the island and he gets there and he sees... His hut is on fire. And so he tries everything he can to try and put it out. He tries and tries, and he can't put it out. It burns down to the ground. And you can imagine what he's felt like. He's, I'm already shipwrecked, and now this one home that I have or tried to build now, it's burned to the ground. God, where are you? Have you ever been in that kind of place? And so he cries himself to sleep. And his, with his tears falling to the sand, he just falls asleep right there on the beach. Well, then the next day, he hears this loud sound off in the distance. And he looks up, and he can't believe it. You know what he hears? It's a ship that's coming for him. He had given up hope of ever being rescued. He couldn't believe it. And here the ship comes and rescues him. And they pull him in. He gets on the ship and he's so excited. But he says, how is it that you all knew that I was here? I tried to communicate and I couldn't get through. How did you know I was here? And they said, we saw the smoke. The smoke from the burning hut that was his home that caused him to weep because it burned down. That ended up being the very thing that saved him. And what you see in that passage is sometimes, yes, God will choose to save us from our suffering, right? We're suffering, we cry out to God, and he delivers us from that thing. But there's other times, and maybe it's more often than not, that what God chooses to do is not save us from our suffering, but he often chooses to save us through our suffering. And that's what he did in the case of that man. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to these people here in this passage. He wants them to know that this is a normal 
an expected part of the Christian life. You are going to suffer. As you're reading through the Gospels, I was reading in Acts, um, I think it's Acts chapter 5, and it talks about the disciples are preaching, and they end up getting arrested and then beaten, and it says they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. And I read that, and I go, those dudes crazy. What in the world is going on with that? And maybe you think about that. Maybe you know people in your life, right? I grew up in church, and there are lots of folks that I grew up with or grew up around, and even in our old neighborhood and in this neighborhood here, people of incredible faith. And they had gone through incredible suffering. And yet their faith was deeper and deeper and deeper. It was amazing. And I try and say they're just kind of the Batman of the Christian faith. Yes, I do think he's a superhero. (laughs) But they're just the superhero of the faith. That can't be like everybody. Or maybe you're tempted to look at them with a a side eye and say, "Mm, they faking. They're not being real. Because if they were real, they wouldn't be going through, they wouldn't be talking like that. They're not being real. They're being fake. But what Paul is trying to say, this isn't fake. This isn't that they're in denial. This is not for some kind of superhuman Christians. This is reality for everybody. And the news he brings us here is that God justifies us. And we'll talk about what that means in a second. But he justifies us by faith in Christ. And because of that, we can rejoice in our sufferings. Now you say, Pastor, how can that be? Well, let's, let's figure it out. Let's see what we can learn. How is it that we can turn his, that question mark, rejoicing in suffering, to an exclamation point at the end. Rejoice in suffering. How can we do that? Well, I want to break it into two headings, looking at this passage. So first, we want to look at the basis for rejoicing in suffering, and then we'll look at the beauty of rejoicing in suffering. All right, so let's start with the basis. And here in these first couple verses, there's, it, it's really, it's a past and a present and a future basis for rejoicing in suffering. What's the past part? Verse one, therefore, since we have been, that's something that took place in the past, justified by faith. And he's talking about faith in Jesus Christ. That's something that God has done in the past that has an ongoing blessing in the present and in the future. Now, what does it mean to be justified, right? That's one of those theological words. You walk out and say, yeah, I'm justified. Somebody say, what's that mean? You're like, I don't know what that means, but it sounds good, doesn't it? Well, it is good. What is justification, right? That's one of those questions that we remember right in the catechism. What is it? It's an act of God's grace, and there's four parts to that. And it gets better and better as you go along. Where what happens? One, God pardons all of our sins. Isn't that good news? Right? But it gets better than that. Because not only does he pardon our sins, but second, he counts us as righteous in his sight. And then why? Because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's imputed to us. In the same way that I'm wearing this robe, you and I, whether, no matter who you are, whether you've been a Christian 80 years, whether you're Alex and Isaac, whoever you are, if you know Jesus Christ, you are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And how is that received? By faith in Christ alone. That's what you have. That's part of the basis for being able to rejoice in suffering. It's kind of a courtroom analogy. But imagine you're not just there in court. You're not just declared not guilty 
but you're declared righteous as you leave that place. That is true for all of us. That is your standing today in Jesus Christ and faith in him. That's the past basis. What about in the present? Well, he says, still leave, leave it back in verse 1 for a second. It says, therefore, since we've been justified with faith, here's the present, first of all. We have, right now, peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, peace with God. What does that mean? Well, think about Russia and Ukraine, even right now. Right? They're not at peace with each other. Well, that's kind of a picture of what we are, apart from Jesus Christ, with God. Because later in chapter 5, you can put up that verse now, verse 10, he says, while we were enemies, right? He's saying, apart from Christ, we were enemies of God. But then he says, we were reconciled to God. How? By the death of his son. How much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And then it goes on. But amazing picture, we have peace with God. But then another part of the present, if you go to the next verse, verse 2, it says, through him we, also, we have also obtained access. Do you know what it means to have access to somebody important? Right, a big government official. You got to have, you got to be able to get past the security gate, the security guards. You got to have a special ID. You got to be on a list to be able to get access to that person because they're so important. But here's what he says. You have access to the God of the universe. Through Jesus Christ, you don't need no security guard. You ain't got to go through no security gate. You don't have a wand trying to see if you got anything on you. You can go right through. You have access in the present to God right now. He's at peace with you. So God is saying, I ain't mad at you. You have peace with God and you have free access to God right now through Jesus Christ. So that's past and that's present. What about in the future? He says there in verse 2 at the very end by, oh, I forgot a part. We also obtain access, and look at this, by faith into this grace. I got to hit this. It's too good to pass through it. Into this grace in which we stand. Have you ever been standing in something? <laughs> Maybe something you didn't want to be standing in, right? And you're like, Lord, what's that smell? Oh, why am I so cold? Why am I so wet? Because you're standing in something. Or maybe think about it in a good way. Have you ever been to the beach and you step on the sand and you look and look and look for as far as your eyes could see? It's nothing but sand. Well, hear what he's saying, if you can picture this, is you and I are standing in grace. As far and far as your eyes and your, imagine, your eyes can imagine, you are standing in grace. That is your standing before God. Now, now we go to the last part at the end of that verse. You can leave that verse up at the very end, right? We looked at the past and present. What about the future? He says we rejoice in what? In hope of what? The glory of God. What is he talking about? What does he mean by that? What does he mean here by the glory of God? Well, what does he mean by rejoice? Actually, that word I didn't know this until I was getting ready for this sermon. That word rejoice, that one he's using here, it means to boast in or to put confidence in. And then he says to put confidence in what? In the hope of the glory of God. If you're reading through Romans, there's a verse that, that you might have heard before in Romans chapter 3. 
it says, it starts out, it says, all have sinned. And do you know what the rest says? And fallen short of what? The glory of God. But now look what he says in chapter 5, verse 2. Now we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Wait a minute, back there, it said all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But now, because of Christ, what we have to look forward to in the future is the hope of the glory of God. You can put up that verse from 1 John 3. This is after the part where he says, Behold, what manner of love, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And then it says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. That is your future hope, right? Because we're thinking in the present, well, yeah, I've fallen short a lot of the glory of God. But he's saying in the future, that's not going to be who you are. You can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because of what God is making us into. When we moved to, uh, to St. Louis in, in 2013, we moved and we were part of Grace and Peace Fellowship, not too far from here. And, and one of the things that, uh, that happened is, is right when we moved, the other pastor that I was working with, his wife, um, had just been diagnosed with ALS. And if you guys know anything about that disease, it is a horrible, wretched disease. It basically shuts down all of your body. And, and you're still there, you're conscious of it, but, but you're shut down within it. It's a horrible disease. Well, I remember as that disease progressed in, in Susan Lutchens, um, I remember that she had not, she wasn't able, she got to the point where she wasn't able to speak, wasn't able to walk. She had very little ability to move at all. But there was one thing that she could do, and she could raise one of her hands up. And I remember we were in a church service, and we're singing that song, It Is Well With My Soul. You guys know that, right? Well, there's the third, do you know the third verse of It Is Well? It says, um, oh, my sin, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, Oh, my soul, do you know that this dying woman with ALS that couldn't speak, that couldn't walk, lifted up her hand? That's the only thing that she could do. But when she heard that verse and had that thought in her mind, no more, my sin won't be here anymore. It's going to be gone. She praised God. Amen. That news was so good, it turned a Presbyterian into a Pentecostal, Amen. raising her hands up in the air. And that's not just true for Susan. That's true for you. So look, let, this is the basis for rejoicing in suffering. Now, we haven't talked about any suffering yet because we're just setting the basis right now. But why do I do that before we go to the other point? Why do we need to do that? Because what happens when we suffer? And I don't talk about this lightly because I know that there's a lot that you come in with today, right? There's suffering on your own heart. There's suffering in your own life. Maybe there's suffering in your own body. Maybe you're thinking about something on the other side of the world, the suffering there. Maybe you're thinking about the suffering here in, this, in your own neighborhood. Maybe you're thinking about the little girl from Freedom School or Miss Scenario that we talked about last week. I don't know what it is, but I know you know suffering. 
So I'm not talking about this in a flippant way. But how is it that we can have a basis for rejoicing in suffering? What he gives us is a past, present, and future basis. Because what do we think when we suffer? Deep down, or maybe it's just me, but I start to think, man, God doesn't care anymore. God doesn't love me anymore. I start to suffer, and I think that's a sign that somehow I've lost my status with God. Or sometimes, somehow my relationship with God is broken. Maybe you know somebody that feels that way. But here, what I want us to do, the application from this, the basis for rejoicing, one is to remind ourselves over and over in the midst of our suffering that our status with God is not in danger. We're justified by faith in Christ. We have peace with God. We have access to God. We have a hope in the glory of God. No matter what's going on around us. No matter what's going on inside of us. Nobody can take away. You can rejoice in that. But also remind ourselves of the basis of suffering when the enemy comes and tells you something otherwise. What's another word for Satan? What else do they call him in the Bible? You know one of the things they call him? What would you say? Devil? Satan? The accuser. Ah, but who does he accuse? As you think about it, he, he kind of accuses a, a lot of people, right? On the one hand, he accuses God before us. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, how, how about those times when you're suffering? And he comes and says, look, God doesn't care about you. Look at him. Look at what he's doing. God is not good. God is not caring because if he was, you wouldn't be going through that right now. And he's trying to get us to walk away from God. But the other thing he does, and we know this well, right? He doesn't just accuse God before us, but he accuses us <laughs> before God. Because he's up in our ear saying, see, mm -hmm, see, you thought you were right with God. Look at you. That's why you're going through this. You ain't nothing. You ain't nobody. But now you can preach your sermon back to him. You don't have to go to seminary. You can say, hold on, let me tell you about the past, present, future reasons for rejoicing. I got a basis there. I'm justified by Jesus Christ. I got peace with God and access to God. I've got hope in the future of the glory of God right now. So get out my face. You can say that to him. That's the basis for rejoicing. But the other point, secondly, is the beauty of rejoicing in suffering. I know you think, Pastor, you're getting carried away now. You just had to find another B word. That's why you use beauty, because I, I can't find any beauty at all. Well, there's a couple things where he does point out. First, there's beauty in what God produces in suffering. If you look at verse 3, as we continue, it says, not only that, we rejoice, not only do we rejoice in hope, that's what he said in verse 2, but verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? And he says that knowing that suffering produces something, what does it produce? First, he says endurance, right, or perseverance, right? That's everybody, we're, we're all like into working out, right, and exercising. But what are you doing when you're working out? Enduring. You're, you're suffering, <laughs> But why are you suffering, right? So you can endure, right? You can lift a little bit more than you could lift last week. And you can run just a little bit further than you could run last week. 
Your endurance is growing. How? Through suffering. And he says that same thing. That's just a picture in physical, in physical life of all of your life of what happens with God is as you continue, as you persevere, you will endure. And then what, what does endurance produce? He says endurance produces character. And the character he's talking about is character like God. It doesn't say he's going to make you a character, right? We, we're characters already, many of us. But what he's talking about is the character of Jesus Christ. And he says, as you endure, more and more and more, you are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You're growing in his character. You can put up that picture that comes up next. And that's a, a picture of gold being refined where? In the fire. So what happens when you refine it in the fire? All of the stuff that's not pure, all the stuff that shouldn't be there, all the, what they call the dross, it falls off in the fire. And so all you have left is the gold. That's what makes it pure. I remember growing up and they would sing this song, please be patient with me because God is not through with me yet. Amen, somebody? And as the song goes on, please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. When God gets through with me, I will be what God wants me to be. I shall come forth. I shall come forth, it says, as pure gold. And that's not an excuse for, for, for whatever we want to do. It's saying, no, God is burning off the stuff in me. He's pruning me. He's getting rid of the things in me that aren't right. And he does that through suffering. And then what does that character produce? If we go back to verse 3, at the very end, it says char character produces hope. And then you go to the beginning of verse 4. <clears throat> I mean, verse 5, I'm sorry. It says hope does not put us to shame or another translation says hope does not disappoint us right if you put your ultimate hope in God at the end of the day you will not be disappointed because God will not fail I don't know when he's going to do it I don't know how he's going to do it I don't know the means he's going to use to do it but God will fulfill what he's promised so if you hope in God your hope will not be put to shame and what's implied there is not hoping in God that does bring about shame. But why is it that his hope doesn't put us to shame? Well, see, the first thing I said, well, we can, the beauty of rejoicing and suffering is because of what God produces. But also the beauty of rejoicing and suffering is because of what God pours out. And we see it there in the verse. It says, because God's love. That's something you can say to your neighbor. Can you turn to your neighbor and just tell him God's love? God's love. I'm serious. Say it to your neighbor. God's love. Now here, a lot of people say, well, wait a minute. Is he talking about our love for God? Or is he talking about God's love for us? Well, if you keep on reading the passage, you find out it's the latter. He's talking about the love of God for us. And look at what he says, God's love has been poured into our hearts. That's a figure of abundance. 
Right? You think about the Holy Spirit being poured out on Pentecost. It's abundant. Right? It's a waterfall. It's not just a couple drips. It's a waterfall of his love who's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Amazing. There's a song um, that we love. It says, not what my hands have done. And this verse, it says, it's not my love for you, but it's yours, O Lord, for me. That causes my, wait, what's the next part say? Something else. (laughs) It sets my spirit free. I forgot the one part. It's his love. It's his love. It's on Christ, the solid rock I stand. As you keep on going and reading in Romans, when you get to Romans chapter 8, there's a part where, again, he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you know what the Holy Spirit does? You know what he does? Is he testifies. Remember, we were talking about Satan being an accuser and saying stuff to you about God and about you. But guess what? The Holy Spirit also testifies. But what does he testify of? He testifies and reminds our spirits. It says in Romans 8 that we are children of God. In the moments where you feel like an orphan, God says you're a daughter of God. In the moments you say you, you feel that God has abandoned you, he reminds you you are a son of God. In the midst of that, the Holy Spirit testifies to remind us that we're not second-class citizens. We're not slaves. We're very children of God. Maybe somebody needs the Holy Spirit to testify right now. I pray that he would. Holy Spirit, testify to the hearts of your people, whether they're online or in this room, to remind them. Somebody needs to be reminded today that they're a beloved son, that they're a beloved daughter of God. That's who you are. So we're getting ready in. I only had two points today. So you're right. <laughs> this one is about the beauty of rejoicing, right? We can rejoice because of what God produces in suffering, but also what God pours out, his very love, into our hearts right up in the midst of suffering. So just getting ready to close, a couple applications. One is to be real. What do I mean by that? I know the suffering that you're going through is real. And you don't have to pretend like it doesn't hurt or or like you have to put on a Christian face and act like it doesn't faze you. Cry out to God with whatever you are. The Psalms are so good with that. Because whether you're angry, whether you're lonely, whether you're hurt, whether you don't even know what to say, you can come and it gives us language to be able to pour out our hearts before God. Second is to set up some monuments. You know what I mean? In the Old Testament, whenever God does this amazing thing, they set up like an altar or they get some rocks and they put them up together and they build a pile. And you're like, what are they doing? Well, they're reminding themselves every time they pass that place, maybe every time they think about the name of that place, they're going to remember what God did. They're going to remember that God is faithful. They're going to remember how God delivered them before. So what will it mean for you to set up some monuments? Maybe it's writing in a journal. Maybe it's drawing a picture. Maybe it's putting up a painting. Maybe it's listening to a song. But something to remind you of how good God is and how how far he's brought you. And then lastly, the other thing is to cry out to God, especially when you're suffering. Is anybody suffering today? Is anybody suffering at home? In that time, 
cry out to God, and I'm going to be specific, that he would let you experience what he's already poured out in your heart. Right, the verse doesn't say there that in our suffering we want God to pour out love into our heart. It said God's already poured his love into our hearts. The question for us is whether we believe that or not, whether we experience that love or not. But it's there for us if we would cry out to him, Lord, let me feel that love. Aren't there times in your life when you can look back where there are times that you know that the spirit of God ministered to you? And reminded you and let you know that God loves you. Continue to cry out that he might do that. But you say, Pastor, I'm having trouble crying out. Because I don't know how this can be true. Because I know what I did. I know what I do. I know what I'm about to do. (laughs) Well, you keep on reading in Romans 5. Can you put up the next part? Because his love ain't based on what you do. He says, while we were still weak. Because here he's describing the love of God. And he's giving you the ultimate demonstration and expression of that love. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Now that's actually some very nice biblical language. But actually it's kind of an insult. He's saying, listen, if there were some good people, then maybe a good person would die for them. But y'all ain't even that. He says in verse 8, but God, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he didn't wait for us to clean up our act. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The ultimate demonstration of the love of God. You're saying, I don't know if I can believe it. Look at his son. Look at, but God. You say, but I'm suffering, but God. I'm struggling, but God. I'm weak in my sin, but God. Look at what God has done. He sent his son, the one who never fell short of the glory of God. To give his life for people who did. He was abandoned by God so that you and I would never be forsaken. He was condemned by God so that you and I would be justified by God. He was thrown out so that you and I could be brought in. The love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. What does that mean? You know what it means? God loves you. Did you hear what I said today? God loves you. God loves you. Through every struggle, God loves you. Through every pain, God loves you. Through every tear, God loves you loves you. God loves you. And because he does, you can rejoice today even in your suffering. Let's pray. Thanks for listening and God bless.